Hi, and welcome to HR Talent and Insiders. Uh, today's episode uh, focuses on diversity and inclusion and how to implement uh, a program. I recorded this episode prior to the events that have taken place in the last several days related to uh, George Floyd and the um, subsequent protests that have taken place around uh, race and social justice. Um, I still wanted to put the episode out because I think it has value. Uh, however, I edited out uh, some parts related to career management that I felt um, are more appropriate to be released at a later time. Um, by no means, this episode was intended to be a response to what has taken place because clearly it was recorded prior to. But in light of what is happening, I am going to be recording a follow-up episode where we discuss a little bit more in depth, not only diversity and inclusion, but the role that each of us as individuals play in contributing to uh, making things better uh, for those that are not uh, having an equal footing uh, as the rest. Enjoy the episode. I'm not unrealistic to the fact I literally check no diversity box. While I do not, this is something that my life has been surrounded by and a part of my life's work. Gustavo. Hello, Brad. How are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm so good. So nice to speak with you. <laughs> yeah, same here. It's been it's been quite some time since we connected. And it has been years. I mean, I would assume maybe a message or two since my Starwood days. But that's right. It's been that's a while. right. So great to see how well you're doing. Yes, yes. I'm 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 very happy that you accepted uh, to join me. Uh, obviously, you saw that I've um, interviewed uh, Janine Morris. Yeah. Right. And then I also interviewed Nicole Cora. So I'm bringing the entire crew from Starwood corporate to, uh, to join me here. <laughs> I love it, man. I mean, it's, it's nobody better to do it. Right. I mean, but what you're trying to accomplish here, those are some incredible people. So I'm yep. just honored that you thought of me, honestly, this is, I'm pumped for this. I really am. Uh, well, listen, I've been following your career. Uh, obviously since the Starwood days. And um, let me properly introduce you, uh, Brad Kogut, uh, who is actually uh, head of, uh, he's VP, head of global corporate talent acquisitions, diversity and inclusion for the WWE. Do you guys say the WWE or just WWE? Interchangeable. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. From a branding standpoint, I wanted to make sure. Um, no problem. And, and obviously, as the head of, of corporate talent acquisitions, um, is, he focuses on diversity and inclusion. And obviously, I wanted to bring you to talk about that. But before we jump into that, I, I did mention that I've been following your career. And one of the things that really appeals to me about your background is because you've been able to change industries. And, you know, particularly in today's environment with so many people unemployed from the hospitality industry, 
you know, some people reach out to me and say, how do I change industries? How do I jump from one to the other? So I thought that that would be also a good topic for us to discuss. But before we, we dive into the topic um, uh, and topics for today, just give us a little bit about your background, where you've been, and more importantly, what you're doing today. Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me. So uh, as you, you mentioned, we go back to the Starwood days. I was unbelievably blessed to have a seven-year career with Starwood. I started there as an intern at the Weston and Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Literally, I was a glorified pool boy. Um, I worked the Tiki Hut handing out towels. Yeah. Uh, and that was the kind of the, the depth of responsibility they gave me year one. Um, but they saw that I was really committed to working hard and learning about the business. And after my internship, I was graduating and they offered me an opportunity on as an HR coordinator. And truthfully, I had no clue what human resources did. Got and it. once I found out, I didn't think it was for me, <laughs> but I believed in the HR director. Her name is Lisa Stout. She's still a mentor of mine today. And she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I figured, you know, what an interesting way to learn the business. Um, I love the people side of what we do and maybe focusing on the employee people side as opposed to the customer people side is a unique niche. And I've been doing it for 15 years ever since. I stayed with Starwood for seven years across the Weston and Hilton Head, then the St. Regis in Aspen, Colorado. Then I had the awesome opportunity to open the St. Regis in Atlanta, Georgia. I stayed there for three years. Then I went to Starwood Corporate, which is where you and I really started to get to know each other well. Uh, I led the recruiting efforts for North America. I was a staffing manager for North America. And that's really where I started to cut my teeth also and get uh, to my passion side of what I do, which is diversity and inclusion. Uh, I created Starwood's veteran recruiting program back then and uh, had a, a really incredible seven-year run. And frankly, if it wasn't for what really seemed like a dream job at the time, I would have been there with Janine when they shut down the doors. I, know. Um, I got an amazing opportunity to go be the director of HR at Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was 27 years old. I was a sport management major in college. and I played uh, college hockey for uh, multiple years. And it was just a dream opportunity to go be in New York City and work at Madison Square Garden for the Knicks, the Rangers, and the entire sports franchise. I did that for three years, met my now wife, Jessica, and we moved out to the burbs in Connecticut back to where Starwood was in Stanford and uh, took an opportunity to join Gartner uh, technology and research, incredible company, uh, you know, year after year winning Forbes and Glassdoor and LinkedIn best places to work. And it deserves every accolade it gets. Um, it's because of an old Starwood colleague that Sally Stelter, who was mm. at Gartner, she, uh, she connected me and pulled me in. And three weeks later I was working for Sally. <laughs> and so uh, three years at that time, I was running uh, about a 130-person team across the globe, leading a sizable portion of the talent acquisition function, um, also leading the diversity and inclusion recruiting efforts. And then I got tapped on the shoulder and, and headhunted to come join WWE and uh, lead the global talent acquisition team, as well as this is a really cool part about my responsibility that was a major attraction point for me is I have diversity and inclusion recruiting responsibilities, of course, but I actually oversee it company-wide. Mm -hmm. So I'm responsible for all of our diversity efforts from our affinity groups to how we look at career progression and succession planning to uh, benefits and, uh, and, and the whole gamut. So it was really just an incredible opportunity. And I must say, I, uh, I watched WWE as a kid, 
I loved the brand as a kid. I didn't watch for about 20 years. I was honest about that during the interview. It's okay. If anybody's watching this, they're not, you know, finding out something new. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and it's been an amazing, roughly nine months now, uh, leading the team at WWE. Wow. Wow. So obviously impressive background, uh, still young guy. Um, I always really respected, you know, there will, there is always a divide between corporate and the field, right? Um, in my experience, that has always been a challenge. You were one of those guys that never felt, uh, never made us feel like because we were in the field that we were not special, that we were not important, which is part of the reason why I reached, reached out to you because you Thank made you. it approachable. And I certainly, you know, congratulate you on all the successes you've had. And I appreciate very much that you're coming to share some of that with us. Um, Thank you. So let's dive into diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, correct me. When I think of diversity and inclusion, I think affirmative action. Is that old? Am I thinking the old way? I would say yes, but you're not. I mean, clearly that's a major component of it, but I think that's an interesting mindset that you have because you're certainly not alone in that. Mm. You know, I, I, if you think five, 10 years ago, major companies and major players were really focusing on DNI as a, a strategic benefit to the organization, but many companies weren't even thinking about it. If they were, they were maybe dabbling in it. And even if they were then, it was mostly through altruistic reasons, right? It was the feel good yeah. things. It was, yeah. um, let's try to focus on bringing in more women, more people of color, maybe more military veterans. And how do we create a, a more inclusive environment for them as employees of the company? But that was, you know, that five, 10 year ago mark. And I will say this has become one of the hottest topics in all of business across the board, because I think companies and you, I mean, you can Google from the likes of Forbes and uh, Harvard Business Reviews, the, the hardcore metrics and data that truly show that companies that embrace a diverse employee population and foster a culture of inclusivity significantly outperform in every single categorical metric that you can have, whether it's revenue generation, whether it's your employee engagement satisfaction results, whether it's um, tenure and attrition, um, the, the collaboration that happens across a more diverse population of employees, um, just has substantive business results. Yeah. And I think that's where it's shifted from the compliance side of what DNI was historically yep. to a strategic differentiator for companies that those that do it right are not only creating a better culture internally for their employees but they're seeing the bottom line impact too, because it's making them a stronger organization. And that's where I've gotten so passionate about this space. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not um, unrealistic to the fact that I literally check no diversity box. I am white, <laughs> I am male, I am heterosexual, I'm under 40, I'm not a veteran. Um, but while I do not check those boxes, this is something that my life has been surrounded by and a part of my life's work from where I grew up to where I went to school. Um, and it is a huge passion of my life. And I think it really provides me, you know, it's interesting when I go to DNI conferences, I'm usually one of the only white men in the room. Um, and even my dad, when I told him I was taking this on, he's like, that's interesting, right? <laughs> they must really like you. Yeah. Um, 
but I use that almost to the benefit side of it of yeah. I, for once in my life, am the minority in the room. That's I am right. the person that is the, it's a unique experience for me. And I have an opportunity and a platform because of the responsibility that I've been given and the perspective that I have to really do something about that and help enrich the lives and the culture of the organizations that I work for. Well, I mean, certainly it's a huge responsibility um, from the perspective of, you know, being a white man. Um, do you feel that you have to, that you have to play harder at it, that you have to be better at it and, and even more careful and sensitive because you are not considered in their minds a minority? It's a great point. No, I'm not considered by any means a minority. Right? That's right. So not even in their minds. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very interesting point. And I would say there, there's a very much a yes to that where I'm constantly cognizant of how I come across. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for, I was earlier today, our women's affinity group for the WWE, which is a fantastic population of uh, nearly 70% of our entire female base is a part of this affinity group. We've been hosting these virtual uh, coffee and connection events and talking about the impact of COVID right now. And we had a session today uh, that was around um, being a working parent through this world of COVID. And I have a 20 month old son and we had parents of all, you know, kids of all ages. And I was the only male on this call. And I'm hosting the call with the co uh, chairperson of the women's affinity group. And it's not lost on me that I am that, uh, the odd one out in the room. But as I've, I've gone to diversity conferences and really committed my, my learning and, you know, a, a portion of my life's work to this, one of the most important things that I've learned uh, through all of those avenues is the importance of authenticity when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Authenticity of your organization. If you're not diverse right now, that's okay. Don't pretend to be diverse. Talk about where you're at, be real about it, and then talk about what you're doing and putting in place to get where you want to go. And I think I apply that same mindset for me personally. I don't know what it's like to be a female. I don't know what it's like to be an ethnic minority or a military veteran, but I have such an appreciation for the, the world that they live in, and I have a unique opportunity to maybe bring a different perspective and, and help and support in any way, shape, and form that I can, that, you know, there's the mindset of sensitivity is constant, yeah. but I also know I'm, I'm here to be a courageous advocate and if I'm doing it for the right altruistic and um, uh, the, the right reasons that are authentic, um, then I think it comes across that way and mm -hmm. it makes it even more highly accepted. Got it. Got it. Understood. So, um, so tell me a little bit about some of the typical initiatives that employers undertake when they are either starting uh, DNI or, you know, perhaps are a little bit more evolved. Yeah, there's a handful of things that are your, your typical, uh, your starter pack DNI, if you will. Uh, I just coined that. I didn't hear that's that. Right, that's right. But it, it makes I'll, a lot of sense. It's in the recording. Uh, yeah. So if somebody takes it, yeah. we got to give you credit. Yeah. <laughs> the starter pack. Um, there's a few things. You would typically see companies do unconscious bias training, which is uh, usually anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours long training. And hopefully, you know, something that is recurring for employees, but particularly people managers and executives of the organization, 
on the subconscious biases that they have and how that ultimately impacts their decision making, their hiring practices, uh, their communication and partnership. And it's a fantastic training that a lot of companies um, really instill and focus on. And it's a, a, a wonderful thing. We're doing it at WWE. Uh, we're rolling it out as we speak. Employee uh, affinity groups or employee resource groups or business resource groups, whatever they're referred to. But um, you see a lot of those are of a very first starter point of focusing on women, LGBTQ, veterans, ethnic minorities, disability, um, parents, age ranges. There's a whole host of affinity groups that usually happen. You'll often see most recruiting functions will institute the tracking of diverse slates in their hiring practices. So ensuring that the final stage of an interview has at least one female and one person of color in that final round. Mm -hmm. And then another thing, which is always a, a wonderful thing, is celebrating ethnic and, uh, and diverse holidays. Uh, so, you know, the Women's History Month and uh, Black History Month and uh, Ramadan and different holidays across the globe that bring different perspectives to the employee population and a greater appreciation of the cultural dynamics that you have in your company. I'd say those are probably the, the starter kit for things that most companies do. The starter kit. Hey, by the way, this is, this is probably the first class that you're going to put together at some point when you decide to start your own business. If you ever go that route, <laughs> that's the starter <laughs> kit class for DNI. You'll sell it. Um, I like okay. it. Okay. So, um, so tell me a little bit from, from your experience, conferences, different employers, partners that you probably talk to, what do employers get wrong about DNI? I would say it's a great question. And they do the four things that we talked about mm -hmm. just a moment ago and feel like that's enough. Got it. And Got that it. You, you implement the framework or, or sort of the foundational things. But frankly, that's like buying a plot of land, flattening it out, putting a great foundation, and then never building a never house building on top anything. of it. Yeah. Right? You just you essentially have a parking lot, yep. and it's there's so much more that that is your Kickstarter. That is how you build confidence that your employees can feel like they're in an inclusive environment. That's how you do mitigate bias. That's how you bring people of like minds and ethnicities and backgrounds together. But without the time, money, and resources spent to really make substantive behavioral and cultural organizational changes, it often gets stagnant right there. Mm. There, you know, you often have where this is off the side of somebody's desk or that it's, uh, you know, if we get around to it or we'll carve around this portion of budget for diversity and inclusion. And while that's not, I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm saying it's not enough. Yeah. Because ultimately, we all know how budgets work and something happens and the thing that has the small sliver, the second a budget cut happens, well, that's an easy get rid of. Yep. If you're not truly committed to it, it goes back to that authenticity point. You know, it's you have companies and, and the, nobody in particular by any means and by no means are we perfect at WWE in this space. Many, yep. In many ways, uh, we're building and starting in this, uh, this, this go forward effort. Um, but it's just because you put a picture of a veteran on your job posting or your career site, or you have a photo of an African-American woman um, does not mean that you are a diverse organization that may attract somebody more to click, maybe go a level deeper, but if they didn't come on site, 
and every single person they meet with is a white male or a white female, or they go and Google your executive team. Most companies, you can find that right on the website. If it's all white males, well, you have some difficult questions to be able to answer then of, it seems like you're committed to this. And again, the authenticity part, if you say, yep, we know that, here's what we're committed to do mm -hmm. to improve in those areas. And the disproportionate impact of hiring one diverse executive at the top of the pyramid outweighs, you could hire 50 entry-level people, all diverse. That one person at the top that is a brave champion for this space makes the most, the, the most singular difference that you can possibly have in a company. So back to your point of where companies get it wrong is they often look insular on those types of things and they feel like if they do a handful of the feel good things that that's just going to yeah. ripple and everything becomes better. But it's, it's almost, it flies in the, sen the, the face of all business sense. You don't do that with any other line of business, any other initiative. Let's do the minimum and hopefully the minimum will make everything great. <laughs> you would never invest that way across any other uh, opportunity. So I think that's where a lot of companies miss the mark and where a lot of people like myself that are passionate and making a career in this space often get stifled because they see the opportunity and they know the business results are there. It becomes a long-term behavior change that you have to, you know, most Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, most companies are started, run, owned, operated by white men. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, when we start talking about recruiting, referrals is a huge piece, right? And oftentimes yeah. that's a huge differentiator. But if your leadership team is all white men, well, who's their network? Probably a lot of white men, right? Yeah. And then it just permeates all the way on down. So yeah. um, it's, it's a, this world is often more of a crawl, walk, run. And that crawl ends up being a lot longer than you want it to be. Yep. because of those misconceptions, I would say. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've experienced is uh, in the companies that I've worked for, uh, the concept of diversity, um, it, it wasn't necessarily um, something that they were pursuing at a high level, right? It was probably more of checking the box. But I also have to admit that what was being perpetuated, it's not what I would call discrimination or at least blatant discrimination, but it's, it's the circle of trust. So if my circle of trust, like, like I'm born and raised Puerto Rican, right? If my circle of trust is only Puerto Ricans, chances are I'm going to be bringing Puerto Ricans, right? That's right. So where, where I thought the DNI the, the movement was getting a little bit of a bad rap was this concept that it was automatically because of discrimination, that I was picking white people because mm -hmm. I didn't want other colors. No, in many instances, it's just that the circle that they've been surrounded by is no different than who they are. And I think that's where, to me, the concept of inclusion became very eye-opening for me because, yes, affirmative action, that was at the forefront, check the box, make sure that the government is not in your ass because you're doing something that you should be doing, right? Um, right. Now, when you move to diversity and inclusion, to me, the word inclusion really made a difference. And I think it actually make it, made it, at least in my experience, easier to sell to others because now I was not just driving the concept of color, right? Now I was driving right. the, the concept of you have to be inclusive of the people around you, different levels, 
right? Just because you're an executive and you believe that you're approachable, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way entry-level people see you. So I took that same concept and then started incorporating it when it came to race, when it came to gender. How, how do you think that inclusive word and concept plays a role in the whole DNI movement? Great point. There's a, a, a quote out there, and I'll feel shamelessly, but I can't say who it's from because I don't remember. Uh, but that diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being invited to dance. And engagement is dancing like nobody's watching. Mm. And I think that's where, you're, where companies are really striving to go. You need diversity in order to have the different perspectives and backgrounds that you know, give a, a, a unique complexion to an organization. But diversity is not enough. And that's also a part where you, to your last question of where companies get it wrong is, okay, now we've hired more women, more African-Americans, more Asians, more veterans, more dis disabled individuals. Great, that's fantastic. Now, how are you bringing those cultures all together and feeling like one unified organization. That's that notion of inclusivity and where people can feel like they can bring their whole self to work. That when you've reached that moment, that is when you know you've started to really breach that gap, bridge that gap of diversity and into an inclusive environment. Well, I have uh, an employee on my team. Sorry, I have a, no, an employee ahead. who was, um, is a, and if she watches this, I hope she um, is okay with me saying this, um, she is somebody that I hired a, a couple months ago. She is phenomenal. Um, she is an Indian woman and her name is Trupti. And on her resume and when she was originally starting, she's like, most people call me Tina. And so I was curious about it. And my natural, you know, intellectual curiosity and the diversity and inclusion side of me is, you know, why do you do that? And it was like, is that, you know, a family nickname? She's like, no, it's just one that I've really gotten over the years because Trupti is too difficult to say. I'm like, you are Troop D here. And through this organization, she is only known as Troop D. And that is the smallest sliver of a thing that you can do in the right direction. But I wanted her to feel like you are who you truly are when you're with me, when you're with this team, when you're in this organization, not who you felt you have to uh, Americanize or whatever it might be to feel like you can be inclusive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have a story when, when I was younger, um, my, my grandfather, you don't see it, but in a corner, I have like a, my, my, sh my shrine for my grandfather on my father's side. Um, so I'm told a story that when he was young, um, I have three, two, two aunts, one that passed away and then my father. And the, the, the aunt that passed away, Aneta, she was, um, she had a, a form of cerebral palsy, so she couldn't walk. And I'm told that um, my, my grandfather was invited to a birthday party and he was invited and was given invitations to invite my father and my other aunt Maruja, was not given an invitation to bring Aneta to the party. And the story goes that he went to the party by himself gave the gift and basically said, thank you for the invitation, but I'm not staying. And that when they asked him, why aren't you staying? He said, because I have three children. I don't have two. So from a very young age, 
I've been exposed in the case of being somebody being handicapped. And obviously I have a brother that Absolutely. passed away last year who also had a handicap. So I've been sensitive to the concept of being inclusive in that front. But like many, I suffer from having the circle that I know. And this is the circle that I'm comfortable with. But because I'm conscious about it, I'm, I'm more likely to pay attention. And I think that's what I try to communicate to people. I said, you just have to be aware. You just have to be Absolutely. aware that the world does not evolve around what you see only because there's other perspectives. There's others, you know, other ways of seeing life. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. That's a phenomenal point. And, you know, I, I, I would love to say that my inner circle is this beautiful mosaic of all shapes, sizes, and colors, but it's not, you know, yeah. that I, there, there is a lot of that. There's, uh, you know, multiple races in my family. There is disability in my family. Um, there's, you know, a, a whole host, there's veteran and uh, in, in military service, certainly in my family and in my inner social circles. Um, but I think your point around awareness and, and a willingness to do something about it. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's a, a significant portion where it's one thing to know and say, yep, I recognize this is, uh, you know, a benefit that I have because of A, B, and C, or, uh, you know, just a, a different situation that I'm afforded, but being willing to stand up and, and um, be supportive of those that may not necessarily have been born with or afforded the same luxuries yep. is a huge opportunity and something that has, uh, has struck me at my core personally that I've taken so uh, to heart of what I want to be known for personally and, uh, and what I want to continue to commit to professionally. Awesome. Well, Brad, it has been great catching up with you again. Thank you very much for coming out today. Um, and I'll be releasing this in a few days. And again, uh, I look forward to continuing watching you grow and um, I do know that if I have a DNI question, now I know that you're my resource. I appreciate it. Anytime. It was a pleasure. Take care. All righty. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.